ABC Business, the construction industry's innovation and technology show. Hello and welcome to this episode of the AEC Business Podcast. This is a panel discussion on the digital maturity of construction. My name is Arnie Heiskanen and the other panelists are Christina Savian, CEO and founder of BeWise, Jan Tsar, Head of Digital Construction at the Ministry of Climate of Estonia, Enrique Nadalis Clavero, BIM consultant at Tilco Advisors and the host of the BIM Cafe podcast. And this recording is from September 26, 2023. I actually found um, a report about uh, digital maturity and uh, how it, it was, it, it's from the UK by Causeway Technologies. And I thought that maybe this report can give us some uh, basis for discussion for, for this time. Uh, the company had uh, interviewed 175 individuals uh, who ought authorize or influence software purchases. And they, they were from uh, SMEs to the largest uh, brands in the industry uh, in, in construction, infrastructure, maintenance, maintenance and civil engineering. And, and, and uh, of course, one of the um, questions, of course, with the any kind of research is how reliable or how well it describes this actual situation. But I think there are some insights that we can discuss anyway. Um, and, and they talk about uh, digitalization. They define digitalization as the transformation of business processes through the use of digital automation. So that's their definition. Well, let's start with the, the concept of of maturity or digital maturity, 68% of respondents believe their their organization to be very digitally mature and the remaining 32% say that they are somewhat mature. I don't know how you can be somewhat mature. But anyway, I my question is, first of all, that number of 60, almost 70% say they are digitally mature. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I, I think it's a pretty high number. It's, it's definitely too high. Uh, I would say digital maturity um, in our industry. Um, yeah, seventy percent is being very, very confident um, about themselves and uh, about their execution. So, but I don't know. What about others? Does it seem? Do we not define first what really digital maturity is and accept that perhaps the problem that you know for some people being digitally mature means I use my iPhone? Um, <laughs> because I think that is the point. I think a lot of people don't realize what's possible and they think they'll the fact that now they use PDFs or something like that, it means like on site, I mean, it's like, oh, wow, we are digital, right? Because we no longer use pen and paper. But I think we need to go back and actually try to understand what it means and also the variety of, you know, perception of maturity. And that's absolutely true. I think, uh, you know, everybody uses email. Does that make you digitally mature? I mean, I don't, I don't really think so. Yeah, and one of the interesting points they make also is that 71% of C-level executives believe they are digitally mature and 
but only 62% of non-senior managers uh, and technical and people in technical roles agree. So maybe there's also this idea that, of course, our uh, uh, organization is digitally mature. Uh, it's, it's like the higher you go, the less you maybe know about the reality. <laughs> Yeah, yes, this and the more you are invested, you invested because you already put so much money into the digitalization of the company, that you have to say that you are. And also, let's yeah. be honest, whatever gets reported at a higher level is always higher than reality because you need to demonstrate results, <laughs> right, of implementation. So today I was at the Digital Construction Summit here in uh, Dubai, and we did discuss, you know, this actually on the panel and moderated <laughs> Um, and, and I think the, the, the biggest, you know, challenge we have is trying to assess whatever is the KPI or the metrics and what actually, how is defined and what it means and, you know, report, you know, back. Also, one very interesting fact that maybe here we, where we see different, but, you know, type of answers depending on the countries as here, you know, we are very, um, international is, the interesting fact was here, as you know, there is some type of workforce on site, okay, which comes a lot from, you know, Asia, India, Pakistan, mm. you have a lot of them. And some of these people, you know, interesting enough, they say they hardly have a phone, right? But they do have a phone. And their level of digitalization maybe might not be very, very high, but they go used to use certain apps. So if you give them some of the basics and just what they need, they actually use it. Whereas the some they might not be have some like very, very high, you know, skills, like general skills, but they they know how to do their day-to-day lives. And if you give them something to improve their day-to-day work, they will use it. Mm-hmm. Enrique, you had something to add. About the maturity. Sorry, I'm giving myself first. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I was saying that also it's good to read on the, this small letter that the, the 71% of the, of the respondents that said that the, the business is very mature, they are on the, on the senior level as well. So, Christina also commented. It's important to, to know who answered what exactly, not just taking the, the number as a generalization for the whole UK or the, or the construction industry in the world, right? Because of course they're gonna say my business is good. What I did did it to good purposes, and and as well, uh, I remember right at the beginning of the of the survey that uh, is is very is very um, distributed the the audience breakdown of the of the company. I think is what the beginning of the charts. Yes, here is like forty percent of them. They are businesses with more than three thousand employees. So. Mm. The, the muscle or the capacity for them to implement digital tools or try new things is way easier than the than the rest of them. So it's not a, it cannot show you with 175 I think uh, scope uh, businesses a real estate of the of the whole industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, one of the questions that I always have is if you ask people, are you digitally mature? You should have some sort of a scale. To measure against and i know that there are uh, i just checked checked uh, that um, there are several of course there are several companies who have defined the for example gardner is one of the consultancies they have uh, five uh, levels of digital maturity 
initiating, experimenting, scaling, transforming, and digital leadership. McKinsey has a digital uh, quotient uh, model, and uh, uh, Capgemini also have a, their own model. So everybody is having their own model for digital maturity. But at, at least in this survey, I don't know how how they defined if there was any any framework against which they would measure um, maturity. So, but but one thing that I I always I've been asking this uh, several times uh, here in Finland because we have some ideas about how many people, how many companies use BIM, how many companies use di uh, different uh, integration. I think it's the same thing is like how many companies you BIM. You need to define BIM first. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Different yeah. things, to different people. Yeah, but but the, the 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 question I have is that when you're asking people, you're talking about opinions. But do you have real data? Nobody has real data. You should go into the company and go go to their projects. Take ten of their uh, projects and go and see what happens actually in those projects. Then you can say how mature you are. Not just asking an opinion. I, I don't know if you agree. <laughs> it's true, but then also this is the point is it's all about the digitalization but without the video digitalize we don't have the data to back up our claims so and also even when we have the data it's not complete data which means rubbish in rubbish out which means we cannot use evidence-based um you know data to back up our you know our claims which means it's still under the perception what do you think how do you perceive it you know, mm. the thing about, you know, reports like um, uh, like the one we're discussing about what always is the question, I mean, who orders it and what is the point of it? And if you look at, I mean, Causeway Technologies is the largest specialist software provider to the UK construction market, supplying powerful solutions, yada, yada, yada. So it is a company selling software, uh, digital solutions ordering a survey uh, about uh, their clients or potential clients and you know you could there's various ways of how to twist and transform statistics to your liking and it's always in the uh, you know what i'm trying to say it's not objective so uh, i wouldn't maybe take it that seriously yeah 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 i agree yeah, that yeah, of I'm course not... every everybody oh. has an axe to grind so to speak whenever they are doing any, any research i i have done it myself also <laughs> so i i know of course you want to find uh, data and and uh, results that support your own course of course yeah. that, that's but pretty natural i i fully agree that we need data on this and actually at the ministry here in estonia we started a study um just like a month ago to understand or evaluate or, or as if possible measure the digitization of the construction industry here in Estonia uh, because mm -hmm. we also we, you know we do a lot here uh, we develop uh, the e-construction platform we we hand out uh, support for for construction companies and constru construction industry uh, um, stakeholders to you know uh, try and innovate uh, pilot prototype new digital solutions but in the end it's like you know you have a kind of a gut feeling or a, uh, or 
an understanding of where the industry is. Well, at least for me, because I've been in this uh, in the ministry for now five years, and more or less, you know, Estonia is small, so you kind of get to know uh, everybody, and that's what I love about you know the construction industry itself. It's like a kind of a big family. You know, everybody is uh, really really friendly mm -hmm. to each other inside, also fighting a lot, but but still, <laughs> it's you know like a family, and but we still don't have the data, and and that's why I mean research like this is also very interesting to me but again it, it seems too biased uh, and from the ministry's point of view at least we try now to be non-biased and we really want to find out what is the, the the actual kind of level but we're yeah we're currently at the point of looking you know what kind of method methodologies should we use and you know there's certain methodologies to measure the overall uh digitization level of a company well you know that's not really what we're after so we're, we're kind of trying to be more specific but you know what are the kind of uh, i've yet to see the, the the results of our uh, of our consultant who's helping us do this uh, of what kind of research they found that we could use as a benchmark or something we could kind of reuse because we don't want to you know invent a new methodology because that is rather pointless as well so any any kind of you know references you guys have or or ideas about you know these kind of studies is would be very beneficial and interesting to me hmm. enrique you had yeah. you raised your yeah, hand I know that what john said before <laughs> what john said before about the causal way and also one of the biggest take or the main text i took from the report is that they enhance the need to have uh, this unique integrated specific software solution so of course this is the ls question about the one ring to run them all and, and it should be my ring or no your ring or someone else's and and then linking what uh, also i mentioned about the data supposedly we have uh, the ability to to have a uh, clean pure, clean and pure data from the, the construction industry uh, that's not all, all the end of the road. The, the job is to analyze it properly and um, to avoid what uh, what we all will have is like try to put the data towards our things or ideas. Mm. Should we not maybe establish that, uh, I don't know, filtering or, or, or results before to have the data so when the data arrives, you, you don't need to, you, there's no freedom for you to, to tweak it around and say, okay, it's going to back up my idea. No, you should have the path of how to analyze it and the results should be kind of automatic, automated processes to end out with something previously established. So there is no human or bias interception there with the data once arrived to you. But this, this is part two, right? Like first arrive with the pure data and then analyze it properly without having yours or someone else's inputs there to, to lead it your way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point, of course. Yeah, so uh, once we have, because now we are able to have data, so that is a good point, uh, a good thing. And 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 oftentimes when we analyze the data, it reveals something, probably something very surprising. You don't really, you cannot, let's say, you cannot um, uh, intuitively. Uh, uh, infer that data so you, there, there will be surprises I, i'm i'm sure one of the things that i found also interesting in in this report was the, uh, and and they say 94 uh, percent of the respondents agree strongly or somewhat 
that manual spreadsheets are still used by their organization despite the adoption of technology. <laughs> so Excel is still the, the, the one that rules them all, isn't it? Why? <laughs> Why? Because it's simple. And you don't need a high level of, you know, skill set to, to use it. And I think one of the challenges that we have is sometimes it's this software, like, it's too complicated. And these solutions are a bit too complicated. They need too much training and they're just not, you know, straightforward. And I found it interesting that so many people can just take, you know, pick up a phone, uh, you know, smartphone and use it. And all of these apps, but when it comes to construction, for some reason, we're just not good enough to replicate that simplicity to the, um, you know, to the product. And I, I just, it's, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. I mean, Excel is like the, the pen and paper of the modern age. I mean, it has replaced it more or less. If you need to do a calculation, you don't do it on paper. You do it in Excel because it can add oh. and subtract and do calculations for you if you want to structure something you know it's 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 so multifunctional it's really as you said it's simple um but and it helps you to do a lot of stuff uh, fast and i mean we all i mean i i, li I listen to the vergecast podcast and and there um the host has a has a very good way of saying that in the end all our work boils down to doing excel I mean, <laughs> and every one of us, I'm 100% sure we work in Excel files at one point or, or of the day. Well, maybe not every day, but more or less, that's what, what we all do. If, if you're an office worker and you use a computer, you most probably at some point use Excel. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's universal, but there's also the kind of the law of um, uh, universality and efficiency. Something that is very universal can never be very efficient at anything. But something very efficient is, again, not very universal. And, mm. uh, you know, if we're talking about increasing the, uh, the productivity and the efficiency of our industry, then, you know, Excel is probably not the most um, impactful way. It will help, of course. But, uh, but we need to be thinking more about, uh, you know, applying repetitive tasks, automating stuff, and, and scaling it up, I guess, uh, not just from one company, but to a lot of companies and, and organizations and between organizations as well. Mm -hmm. Enrique, do you use Excel every so day? Taking back what we discussed at the beginning, and are we industrialized? You know, of, well, not every day, honestly, but uh, I do use it. <laughs> and, and taking back what we said about the digitalization, that all those people that use Excel, does it mean that they are digitalized? Mm -hmm. we, yeah, we want to go deeper on that. No? The, the, the word digitalization for me arrived after Excel, Excel. So it should be for something beyond that. And um, those are the solutions that you're trying to implement to change the, to change the, the construction industry, blah, 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 right? So that's not the, that's not the goal to say, yeah, sure, I am digitalized. I use access. Like I was at the beginning, we, I use email or I open my laptop, my computer every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's very typical that people find typically the, the let's say, the easiest way to, to solve things. And Excel is one, probably one of those. And for example, in Finland, the most used communication tool on construction sites is WhatsApp. So it's, it's, it's universal here. But the problem... It's not only there. 
the entire, uh, I live in an 83 floor tower. The entire mm. building is managed on WhatsApp. Yeah, but the problem with WhatsApp and also Excel is that they are separate solutions and you right. don't, you don't have any, you, you, you don't have, have a, let's say, a to whole, whole picture of the process. It's scattered, it's siloed. Uh, and there's 100 no percent it's simple and this is what everyone knows how to use it's very easy to communicate and everything but tell me how in a tower like honestly duplicate this million times and i had this discussion with fm you know people and it's like you tell me you cannot draw any analytics you mm, might yeah. know because you are here every day the one item in every build you know in every flat breaks down right but mm. You could actually have data to back up and you say how regularly they happen. So you can improve the way how you maintain the buildings, how you manage your contractors, you know, and everything. It's, we have a problem. It's mm. not about the maturity of digitalization, it's the quality of the maturity, don't you think? Mm. That's a good point, yeah. Also, uh, one of the interesting results was that when they asked about to what extent are your your organization's industry-specific software solutions customized? So how much customized solutions do you use? Completely says 54% and mostly 42%. So the solutions that they use for their industry-specific tasks is customized. And some, some people say that, that that is perhaps one of the main uh, roadblocks in, in, in digitalization because you're not using standard systems. You you cannot uh, communicate with those uh, things, and of course there there are several problems related to to those in-house uh, development. Um, but I don't know how how do you see? Is it a problem or is it an opportunity? Do you have your in-house software development and used customized solutions? You know, I think it's um, you know it depends on the company and what your strategy. But from my experience, what I see um, more often than I would like is, uh, you know, some company, let's say in construction, um, starts developing something and they figure out they've, you know, um, struck a gold mine. Like, this is really great. I've managed to automate some part of my uh, processes, which is fine. Uh, and then they think it's, you know, it's either, um, you know, this is something very unique. I can get money off this and I can turn it into a product and boy, will I be able to scale up and, you know, be a tech startup. But once they then start to do that, they realize that, oh, other companies also have something like that or, you know, they processes are slightly different. different. So exactly. we need to standardize and, you know, this solution is not and, you know, it's, it's hard. And then they realize that they've been doing a lot of custom development for themselves, which in the end costs huge amounts of money and resources, but it's not, you know, um, a product that they can sell. Mm. Yeah. And so, one so, of the other yeah, work lead to the, the solution, the, the solution that they, they, they end up having and say, oh, perfect. This who can commercialize this. You don't realize that all the effort you put is to fit that need or that project or that customer that what it works for me doesn't need to be working it's working for you or for somebody else 
I think we don't need to polarize these things about having one tool application or somewhere or having 10 or 10 million. This a handful full of them as less as you can, but not try to integrate everything in one because then at, at the end it becomes hard to use and you lose user experience. So it should be not on the, not on the poles, no, no black, no white. So find something great, maybe more, more towards white or towards black, mm. but cannot be on, on one of on either of the corners, I would say. Mm, mm, that's a good point, yeah. And and I, I see actually in architecture more and more, we are seeing people using uh, Dynamo and things like that, Rhino, uh, to create uh, uh, even project-specific solutions. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, but uh, at least it opens up new opportunities for design. <laughs> in the end, but, but, I, I don't, I don't yeah. see a big problem in that um, mm. because you're going to have custom tools anyway, and you know more and more companies will be developing them. Mm. Uh, but I think what we uh, what we need to focus on, and at least at the government level, we're focusing on a lot on this in Estonia, is open standards and how you know you cannot integrate every piece of software with every other piece of software. That is insane. That will never work. What you can do is you can agree on some standards of exchanging data, how you're exchanging data. That's why we have IFC. And, you know, it's not perfect, but it's the best we have. And it actually works, you know, integrating all these different uh, uh, design softwares, uh, you know, estimation softwares, whatnot, ERP systems. It's possible to do that. But... Uh, I, I always try to tell everybody that we need to kind of as much as possible stick to standards. And in Estonia, we don't want to invent any new standards. We're small. You know, it's easy to invent a new standard. It's fun. It's great. You know, I've seen a lot of academics get real excited about it. And, you know, a lot of smart people as well think that, well, we need to just change a little this. OK, we'll, we do that. And in the end, you have another standard which is not used anywhere except you are using it. And then you want to integrate something and boom, you ran into a wall. So um, that, that is one way to get around it. And then, yeah, I, I also think the, the landscape, uh, software landscape is so complicated and so various that, that there isn't really one solution that will cover everything. But, uh, mm. but as Enrique said, I mean, less is more. I also am a strong believer in that. So, so simplicity and in often you should maybe try and think that if uh, if you really need such a customized solution, maybe you should rethink your business processes. I mean, maybe your business processes are too complicated or too specific, um, and and that's why none none of the other you know software solutions work for you as well. But if you maybe standardize a little bit, you might be able to adapt easier. Uh, new uh, digital solutions to help you work and you know move faster. Mm. So, as I, as you know, I used to work for one of the biggest software mm. developers. Um, so, I'm telling you the challenges of the, from the software development point of view, it only really makes sense if you are creating something that it's repeatable and scalable, right? Because otherwise, they'll really make money. The challenge that we have is exactly what you are describing is each company has its own unique workflows and not necessarily the out of the box solutions work for them. The challenge also we have is that a lot of them, the existing ones, 
they should have better API integrations and allow for building on top of those customization. But let's be honest, that's not necessarily what they want, right? Um, and mm. they don't really, you know, we, we know about the locking vendor effect, right? We also know, you know, this is the challenge. So what happens is many companies that actually, and also we have the problem of the data ownership that we don't really realize how much data actually at the moment is still on and will be on forever <laughs> the software vendors where actually so this is where a lot of some of the companies come to getting smarter and they say no no i'm going to develop my own because end of the day you know it shouldn't be costing that much and i'm going to create something that only works for me the challenge is that then because they're witnesses is they are either design companies, construction companies, or asset you know, management operations. Guess what? They are not software developers. So then they realize that their in-house solution actually costs a fortune because mm. they it's a different business model. It's something different. And they also realize that they cannot be sold to the outside because they are just not software vendor. They cannot scale. They don't have the systems. Even the you know simple, you know, LSA. They just levels. You know, self They just can't fulfill them, right? So they get into this trap. Mm -hmm. What is the solution? I wish I knew. But here is where I have the question for you. What do you think? Yeah, but perhaps now that many companies are moving to the cloud and cloud computing, maybe that is something that will also change the scene a little bit so that you, uh, I think that it typically means that the, the solutions have to be, be somewhat interoperable if they are on, on the cloud because you're not managing the whole, whole uh, let's say, infrastructure yourself. But I don't know if, if, if it changes. I think anything. we have the, it's still the same problem. Mm. I don't know I think, if the cloud is going to solve it. I think it's an inherent problem in our industry because we're so um, still so project centric, project focused. Mm. You always think, you know, you're thinking in projects, you're not thinking in products, not in processes even. So, you know, some are, of course, which is good. I mean, especially if you look at uh, those who are uh, doing prefab and, and offsite manufacturing and, and construction, these companies have realized that they need to turn, you know, whatever they're doing into a lean manufacturing process. And then you can start to apply all these great tools they've, you know, invented for manufacturing already decades ago and, and to streamline, you know, the supply chain and everything. But in construction, generally, it's still very project centric. You know, I have my project, it's unique. I do it my way, you know, it's, it's, it, I can't apply, I can't apply everything I did in the last project, you know, because of the location, because of the client, because of the architecture, whatever. Uh, but this is, I think the biggest challenge we have in the industry is, is changing this mindset that, you know, of all the buildings you see, I mean, 70% of them is exactly the same. It's like structural elements. It's, you know, doors and windows. You just put them together a little bit differently. And of course there's, architecture involved but still i mean interior finishing and you're in the end using construction products which are universal but but the whole you know mindset and thinking i think that is maybe the biggest stumbling block we have and you know unleashing this huge potential for, to digitize the whole industry and, and to kind of streamline product delivery but but boy this is yeah. tough not to crack 
Yeah, I yeah, I, I I totally agree with you, Jan. This is this is the fundamental problem we have. We're thinking about projects and every project is like a, a new enterprise. It's like a like a completely new even though yes. it's it's the very same process, it's the same people doing the same yeah. things overall, but still they see that it, this is so unique. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> Well, they, they need to sell that to the client, no? the one who pays, who wants to have the, that unique uh, building or house or, or congress hall or whatever. This is always the, what architectural uh, touch is selling, right? Like, yeah, I want to pay Norman Foster or whoever to, to do my design because it's going to be unique and will have more value. Yeah, but but Foster and, and, and others, they, they make only a tiny, tiny... Uh, portion of all the construction in the world most oh, of sure, most sure. of the construction is is pretty standard i think um, by the way it is, as we it talk, still we have that belief yeah uh, we were talking we were talking about the uh, in-house development and customized uh, software uh, in the in the um, research they asked what challenges if any does your organization currently face when using industry specific software solutions and the top challenges were lack of technical support, lack of integration with existing non-industry specific systems, time and resources to implement. So technical support is something because if you have in-house software and, and if you use really, uh, let's say, non-standard systems, you need somebody to support those and it kind of it, it's a problem. In some cases, even it has happened that it's so personified, so certain solution is so, so personified that when the person leaves, the knowledge leaves the company as well. Isn't that? I, I have seen that. I don't know if if you know the the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've seen it dozens of times before, and you know, in every organization, if you're going to implement some kind of a new tool. You need kind of the super admin, or you need to people who are who are there to, uh, to who are advocating, who are you know the evangelists, and they really want to use it, and then they get others along with them and they pull them. But if you don't have that person uh, or that person leaves, you you have a big problem, especially if you're dealing with non-intuitive solutions. If it's um it's a if it's a really easy thing, then it'll catch on much quicker. But as they say that you know they're using over what 50% of them are using customized solution so solutions so that means it's very specific and very uh, weird to use probably and you you know if it's custom you need a guy who tells you why it's custom and how it's been customized so that mm -hmm. makes yeah that makes sense i guess yeah and i have all, all often seen very many times especially uh, in um, in construction companies that they have what they call legacy systems that they have been using them for decades already. And they have so much information, so much data in those systems, and they have so much, uh, uh, their processes in a way follow the, the logic of the, the, of, of the legacy system that it's really difficult to change anything. Don't touch it because it works. And that makes, uh, uh, that makes uh, any kind of change really difficult. And there are people in the organization who who try to keep the status quo as long as possible. 
Christina, as you've been, you know, uh, in, in software development, how do you see the importance of support in, uh, in companies? The challenge is, it depends on what, you know, so this is the thing, is I was thinking, you know, why the existence of these legacy systems and why we get trapped on what is preventing us from moving and adopting, you know, new stuff. Hey, the legacy systems tend not to be interoperable, okay? And the challenge we have is also the fact that we cannot really, um, yes, it's old fashioned, yes, it's old technology, but it works. And somehow it does the job. And implementing new systems, you have the big question mark, you don't know exactly how the new information is going to behave, how reliable it's going to be. And very often, if it's very new technology with a company that has not really been along for a long time, it means that maybe it's not going to be around for much, you know, only for years. Well, what are you going to do with all of this data? And what are you going to do with, you know, the cost of transition and everything? So what happens? Being a risk adverse industry, we are stuck. And we are just staying the status quo because the risks of doing the wrong thing is wrong. Now, I think from at least what we are seeing is that until the company gets to the point where it's going to lose business, it's not really going to do anything. Mm. Like mm. what is going to drive the change? Urgency. Urgency, mm. you're losing market share because your biggest competitor is winning all the work because perhaps implemented new systems. Or, interesting enough, because honestly, and I heard this today, and even without going into the details, as you know, some of these point solutions are acquired by very, very big, large infrastructure, you know, solution, you know, um, software solutions. So what happens is, despite they're very expensive, they is actually easier to implement these solutions. Why? Because they're already speaking to the right people. And it just says, well, this already works, so it's definitely gonna work with these other bits, you know, on top. And is it it's the cost, it's literally generally the cost of in the implementation and the risks of implementing something new and risks of doing Something with a company that maybe perhaps has not had this, you know, very background, like long history. So I have, as you know, I work with a lot, a lot of startups. We amazing. We have amazing technology out there. And I always say, you're never going to, you know, I have no chance. So all I can do is helping you to get acquired. Because getting acquired, it means that you will have the balance sheet to work with these other companies. And it's the only way. It's like, otherwise, you're just going to be out. Or you're going to be acquired by a competitor or a competitor is going to buy something very similar to make sure, you know, you basically... Mm. Okay. That's an interesting point point of view for the startups. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the yeah. construction industry, right? This is the problem. Mm, it's, mm. you know, it's... That's the reason but, why we don't implement new stuff. Yeah, but, but I, I like your point on you know uh, the, the pain has to be strong enough so that they actually change or move. 
but I remember at, um, Matti Rönke at the, uh, he, I think he was the one at WDBE um, keynote. He mentioned that, you know, with construction companies, it's like, when do you change something? When do you implement? Okay, if times are good, you know, lots of projects, lots of, nobody has time. Oh, don't bother me with this, you know, process improvement. I'm making loads of cash. I'm, you know, projects are running. I don't have time for this. If times are bad, it's crisis. Like, well, I don't have any money. I I, I have nothing to do. I, I, I would gladly do something if I would have the money and I right. would have some projects to work on, but I just don't, I'm, I'm too busy finding new work. So, and, and this is what you hear over and over again, because they're yes. always so busy either are looking for for work or they're too busy working and they don't have time to innovate or change 100% they asked me they asked me oh here now you know I just moved you know to the UAE and they asked oh there is so many projects and there is like a lot in Saudi it's like this profits are too high <laughs> nobody's gonna drive anything any digitalization piece I mean mm -hmm. it's it's just it's uh, you know it's a catch-22. And also, this is interesting, even where in Saudi here, we certainly witness the fact that the digitalization and the, the vision is very, very strong because the expectations are very, very, very super high. But guess what? They can't find skilled people to even try to implement anything. Mm, mm, mm. They just don't exist. And the project needs to be done, so it's going to be done the old way. Yeah. Perhaps we can still find one uh, piece of information from this uh, research about the key factors that are driving digital initiatives uh, at those companies. And the, the top three were improving the user experience, improving the accuracy of data sets and data standardization. So, um, so it's uh, very. Imp I, I find it very interesting that the improving the user experience would be number one. Or is it? That they are beautiful words. What does what do, they, what do they mean with that? <laughs> I think the number one uh, reason for any company should be how can I make more money and be more efficient and get you know profits for my share shareholders. That should be the. I would think. The, driving number one reason why you should uh, digitize uh, anything. Of course, you know, user experience, all that is good and, you know, better project delivery, then you get to sustainability and all of that nice stuff. But in the end, if you're in the profit making business, you should be thinking of, hmm, how can I be a bit more efficient? Maybe save some resources, do more projects, you know, have a better oh. margin. So that yeah. would be in my view yeah perhaps how would i gain a competitive advantage maybe that would be the, yeah. the question <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah the, the, those, are, those are the real the real behind though that's what i said that i can call it user user uh, interface user experience uh, sustainability goal because it looks very nice but the real engine of all this is how i make more money <laughs> when i was discussing with one architect uh, a while ago the, um, he, he told me something very interesting that they implemented a, in a company well, using BIM and other tools that they were accounting kind of because it's also hard to, to measure the, the money or cost effort saved during those projects. And at the end, they allocate those resources they save during the projects on the year or on the quarter or whatever to a project, which is they call it 
zero cost project, no? a project cost uh, done by default, we save from the others. So instead of monetize it that way of uh, I save 2 million euros, for example, I could make an extra project with the four I save from the other one. So that sounds very interesting uh, in a way of uh, seeing about uh, in, in a different scope because it's not always about saving money. Also, you can look at it, I'm going to save time and be able to finish my project on time and do something else on the top instead of getting money money back because you're not going to get a cashback. Congratulations, you use uh, BIM to, to do this project. Here is your cashback. No, it's not worth about like that. No? So surely, ideally, you will earn some money and you do this zero project or zero cost project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, the bigger the company, the more you have kind of a possibility to think in a broader term, more holistically. Like, And in the end, you know, how you companies even bigger companies make money is uh, it's it's not just about you know efficiency but it's about first getting the right people how do you attract the people how do you make your company uh, more attractive how do you brand it how you market it, it and and it all it, it kind of it's all linked right and and that's why it does make sense often to uh, as Enrique mentioned you know do these zero cost projects and you take the profit and you turn it use them somewhere else uh, that will make the company overall look better uh, and, you know, uh, perception of the company is better and you might get more clients, you might get better projects, etc. And that in the end, again, it translates into a, a better revenue, more profit, maybe uh, not necessarily profit, but still uh, uh, better revenue and company growth, which is, you know, good for employees, etc. But but yeah, I mean, I don't think um, user experience being the number one reason to digitize something that sounds very odd to me that means like you already yeah you have some crappy system and you're upgrading it uh, i can't use this and, and whatever but it sounds like something a software developer would, would put as number one <laughs> <laughs> yes yes Again, yes. The why, but of course, there was also. I, I think in the research they also mentioned several times the integration, and the the integration is one of the key, maybe the uh, the the line that holds this together. Uh, but um, yeah, well, um, we started discussing the maturity of of digital digital maturity, and um, of course the question. Uh, I, I, I think you know these three uh, concepts, digitization, digitalization, and digital transformation. And uh, if you think about digitization, it's like turning something physical into a digital form. I think we are there already in the industry. 100%. Yeah. But digitalization is Asia. the use of... Yeah, is the use of digital te technologies to change a business model and provide new revenue and value-producing opportunities. So that's something that we <laughs> should now strive. And then the, the transformation is something that is, as a result of this digitization and digitalization, is the, the result, the impact caused by all this. So what kind of, how we can totally manage our 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 business differently and 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 i think that industrialization in general is is the future that we because it's i don't see a future we we can still do a lot of manual work on on the construction side and 
we need at least we need some sort of more systematic way to con construct and and produce and fabricate uh, it doesn't always mean uh, robots or or things like that but I, I see in the future that maybe the industrialization is the the key concept and it all, of course ties very tightly into digitalization or what, yeah, what I, are I, your thoughts yeah, totally, I, totally. I, it's a... go ahead Enrique. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you also. I need that industrialization, industrial processes automated. They are uh, the way to go. To uh, as Jan said before, and we discussed, the projects are pretty much the same. We're using doors and windows in, in construction for residential, um, residential houses or buildings, and and why not to do it like that? And also, the the, the four of all this, the word you said, the backbone of the integration, we need to work on this common uh, standard or data format exchange because. The process you do as you want. I, I'm defensor of you do your projects as you feel it. they are the best for your customers and your needs. What I'm going to ask you for a result and to give metadata to any public administration or whatever on a, on a sort of standardized way. And also, I like to add the word machine readable because the data is just not given as present. However, it's to be structured and, and it's machine readable because at the end, it's better to, to give it to the, to the computer to analyze it or, or give me the values for it. And, and that should be the, the backbone that, that unifies all that. that. You do your process as you want. Give me the exchange data properly between us and, and with, with, a, with some common standards and, and open formats. And that, that should be enough. You need to convince people to use a software or a system or whatever. If a company thrives and, and, and progresses and makes a lot of benefit, do it industrialized, don't you think that all the companies around and the bigger project will start to copy them? Of course, we don't need to force them to that. Whoever succeeds the first will set the pace for all of them to go for this common road. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you totally on the industrialization part. And I used to work for a um, timber uh, prefab manufacturing company. Uh, and uh, like in Estonia, it's, the, the industry is very advanced uh, in the timber prefab industry. And also we are doing, you know, uh, apartment building renovation schemes now with, uh, with also factory based uh, panels that are produced in a factory installed on site, like very fast, efficient. But uh, coming back to your point about, you know, uh, like, you know, we're already digitized to some extent, like turned analog into digital and then now we're moving forward. I think maybe you're a bit too um, uh, Nordic centric, uh, Arnie, <laughs> because if you if you remember what Sebastian from Fundamental also said, at the, you know, WDB keynote was that in India, there a lot of startups are scaling hugely. And, and very successful with very, very basic digital tools. And, and, and what they like about the Nordics is that here you have such a, you know, availability of data and a very high skill set and very advanced industry. So they're kind of looking what works here is probably something that'll work, you know, in, in India or other parts of the world, maybe years and years from now. But I would say, um, you know, living in Estonia and also, you know, being close to the Nordics and, and part of the Nordics, I like to think so. Um, we uh, we may be uh, a bit, uh, you know, uh, spoiled by by the level of, uh, of of digital transformation of many of our companies and, and the industry here. But if you go somewhere else, it um, it may not be that case. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree that, of course, everybody's living in their own bubble in a way. So <laughs> it's a, it would be refreshing to, to have somebody that, that from... Also, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I would say that also you come to another region, like here in Spain or whatever, you tell them, let's do the thing this way, because in the Nordics, it's, it's, it's thriving, it's fantastic. And they will tell you, no, but this is because the earth things are that way or the way. So it's not really, they don't they don't take it for granted. Like, oh, they, it, works, it works there, let's implement it here. No, they are self-convincing themselves. It won't work here. It, here is different, the culture, whatever, you know, like what I can call it excuses. Of course, the same system won't work, but why don't to get attracted to a new way or, or, of doing the things or, or changes? It's, they stay on this, again, silos in terms of data, now in terms of uh, culture of, of country culture so the things doesn't doesn't move that way because they don't accept solutions coming from other places mm, mm, but yeah, i think this is good. also uh, i i can't stress or highlight enough the importance of uh, open interoperable standards and i think we're pretty well off in europe in that sense that we're kind of on a very um good agreement that we need to apply more open standards but that's not always the case when I've heard in, and then talked to people from other countries that like, well, we have this, you know, proprietary solution and then nobody, why, why should I use open standards? I have a, you know, development team of that X, Y company right here next to me and they'll do whatever mm. I want. I mean, why should I use open standards? I mean, why? But, but in the end, that's really how we get to the interoperability and kind of uh, making sure that all these different solutions are synchronized, are working together, and, and data can be exchanged more easily. But uh, but I don't know. I mean, outside of Europe, it seems to be a bigger problem than, than here, and especially in the Nordics. I mean, in Estonia and Finland, it's all, uh, you know, IFC and open standards are the norm. I mean, no doubt about that, especially with yeah. your public client. I mean, you shouldn't ask for anything else. And, and with the EUBIM task group, we're working hard with the together with the European Commission to to get them to also kind of recognize uh, that it's not just about BIM, but it has to be open BIM that when we're talking about procurement, etc. Mm, but I don't know yeah. what's what's the experience. Uh, Christina, in your neck of the woods, how how do they look at open standards? I'm honest with you. I've just, you know, as you know, I sit on the, you know, ex-UK BIM Alliance, now NEMA, uh, organization I literally just reviewed just before this podcast recording, the new, I and I still have it open, the new, you know, ISO 19650 and uh, how that fits into, um, you know, why you, know, you should use it, why you should avoid international standards, you know, and everything. And so we discussed this a lot and the reality is, is as always exactly what the same thing as implementing a technology unless there is a sense of urgency unless there is someone who really cares about the longevity of you know the data it just doesn't happen how many skills like knowledgeable people you have on you know these standards whatever it is like we're talking about you know open being like traditional or you know international standards I had someone from, um, you know, big tier one contractor on my panel uh, that I was moderating. And it's interesting because I said, oh, there is this other person that 
is thick today. Are you going to replace him on this part? I know nothing about Eisenman. <laughs> and I was like, uh, are you not the head of digital? I mean, should you not actually be the one who knows the basics and knows the understanding? And yes, you might not know the details, but you should not understand the, like, you should be on top of this and this is the problem i think mm -hmm. it's still a very very oh, okay this person you know it's not the foundation because if it was the foundation everybody would know about it but it's not so i think the education is still not there and also it relies on very passionate people because yeah. on spreading the word all open standards all of you know this international it's mostly spread thanks to volunteers not mm, really mm, mm. people they get paid, you know, to implement is seen as a good to have, not a must have. Yeah, but yeah, but so isn't that the the question that what, what who are our clients and what they want? Who who are the owners of, of maybe I, I think that they will eventually require this open the use of open standards. We need to educate our clients. We need to, we need educate, to educate. Yeah, yeah but mm. at the day, he's who is you know mandating, and mm. just says, "I want yeah. you to use this because I don't want to be locked in the system. I want to use the standard. I want to read this data hundred years. That's really the whole yeah. point." Yeah, yeah, but perhaps the use of open standards would be one element of digital maturity. <laughs> that when you are able to use throughout your processes and your system open standards, you are on a higher maturity IBM level. level see, let's create a new scale of the digital maturity for AC. The actual yeah, yeah, yeah. the reality of digitalization, mm, digitalization. Mm, that, that, sorry, sorry, getting lost yeah. here. Um, <laughs> digitalizing the industry. Yeah. <laughs> Not digitizing, because we said we did, we asked, right? Okay. So in the end, what we're talking about is interoperability. Yeah. Just that the open standards are, in my view, the best way to ensure it. But <laughs> as a maturity level, the more interoperable you are with others, the more mature you are, I would say. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I will re-ask to that 71% and they said uh, the organization is very mature. If they're using open standards, they know what is an IFC. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I think we have uh, now, uh, we could talk forever, but perhaps we should now say say thank you very much. You're, uh, again, our fantastic panelists, and uh, and um, we'll come up with something next for, for the next time. And so let's keep, let's, um, keep the ball rolling and, and uh, promote open standards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect ending, Arne. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much, Arne, guys. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to this podcast and visit aec-business.com, the award-winning blog, for more news and stories. 